You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole, and I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and so excited to be back with the one, the only, Christy Morris. Uh, that's pants to you? Oh, 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 I forgot you're wearing pants today. I can't really tell on Zoom, so. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Believe it or not, women are wearing pants now, or trousers, as they're called. I've I, apparently I've heard. So <laughs> we are going to be diving into Disney's brand new film, Jungle Cruise. And before we do that, of course, just a quick reminder: you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If uh, you happen to be on Apple Podcasts, we'd love a star rating review. Help people find the show. Help it continue to grow. Uh, it means a lot to us when uh, people do that, and we read those reviews out on the show. You can also find us um, all over the place. So uh, any place that you can get podcasts, you can get the 602 Club. So make sure you're just subscribed and that way you'll get the shows as soon as they drop the episodes there. Uh, You can also find us online at Twitter. Uh, You can find us at the 602 Club. We're on Instagram at 602 Club TFM. You can also find uh, the entire network online at Trek FM or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. Uh, and of course, the listeners only discussion group, the Babel Conference, you can join. Uh, and um, we really appreciate it if you go over to patreon.com slash Trek FM and become part of our team. Uh, we've got some great associate producers here through the show. Their Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah. Really appreciate them supporting the show each and every week to make sure that all of this quality content here from the 602 Club as well as the network keep coming to you. And if you like what we do and you like the fact that it's ad-free, uh, keep going over to patreon.com slash trekfm and supporting us. And so, Christy, I wanted to ask you, you know, this is a really interesting movie because much like Pirates of the Caribbean... Uh, and, of course, you know, they did uh, Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. This is another place where Disney has taken a ride from Disneyland and Disney World and created a movie based off of it. And so, like, I- I'm kind of wondering for you, um, like, where are you then in relation to Disney's movies based on rides have you enjoyed them so far and when you heard about them making jungle cruise was this something that you thought oh well that could be good yeah actually it it is something that i've enjoyed so far i think that the big thing is that with every one of these you had somewhere to start with Mm -hmm. but then you have to have some good writing to actually give it a plot that people would care about um and enjoy and and not be you know, all fluff and just empty when it comes to story elements. Um, so I think it takes multiple things to make um, a ride into a good movie. But I think that so far they had been doing a good job. And I was excited to see Jungle Cruise just even mm-hmm. because of the casting. Sure. Um, did you feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, 
So, I mean, we've talked about the original Pirates of the Caribbean here way back when we first started the show. So this was years ago. <laughs> and, I mean, I think the original Pirates of the Caribbean is classic Disney in the sense that um, oh, yeah. you know, it allows you to take um, the genre of the action-adventure movie that they had crafted for kids all the way back in the day from, like, you know, I think a Swiss Family Robinson, which we talked about, you know, they had the action adventure films like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or Kidnapped or uh, Treasure Island or all of those type of things shipwrecked. You know, I think of when I was a kid in the 80s, that movie came out. So Disney has a long history of making those types of films and being, I think, mm-hmm. quite successful at it. And Pirates of the Caribbean was something that really, I think, hit within that same genre and, and in many ways kind of brought it back because it had been dormant for a long time. Um, you know, the sequels are what they are for that film. Um, but, you know, and I I don't think I've ever seen Haunted Mansion, the one they did with Eddie Murphy, because I, I don't mm-hmm. – that's not something that I mean, you know, I know we've talked about Ghostbusters here, but I, I it's not something that really strikes my fancy, but – you know, with Jungle Cruise, um, that's something that I, I mean, just because of the casting, I was interested in. You know, I like mm-hmm. Dwayne Johnson. I love Emily Blunt. And it looked like this was going to be fun from the trailers. But, I mean, you know, this is something that they had uh, been trying to do since 2004. And, in fact, this was going to be originally a movie when... Tom Hanks and Tim Allen were supposed to star together uh, because of the chemistry that they had from Toy Story. They were going to do a movie with those two. And so uh, before we even like dive into uh, the the rest of the film itself, like what do you think about that? Does that feel like a movie that you that could have been really interesting to you? It definitely would have been a comedy. That's for sure. Um, and I mean, yeah, definitely they had great chemistry from Toy Story. But then I think, too, that's a whole different animal because you're not actually seeing them as actors interacting on screen together. Sure. Um, so I think, it, of course, it would be a little bit different being in this setting. But I think this worked well as well because it was a pairing of male and female leads together right. rather than just two guys on a jungle cruise. Mm-hmm. Just setting it in the era that they did as well, being mm-hmm. it, you know, like the Victorian era. Sure. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the other big thing about this is that it's actually, I mean, it, it's clearly playing off the idea of the African queen with Humphrey mm-hmm. Bogart and um, Catherine Hepburn, you know, uh, and which is a fantastic film. And so they're, yeah. they're really, I mean, and I don't. Obviously, have any issue with movies kind of alluding to older films. You know, I think, you know, if anybody were to go find that movie because of this one, that would be great. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I think you're right. It would have been a completely different animal, uh, you know, uh, a leopard of different spots uh, for <laughs> sure when it comes to the fact that, you know, of Tom Hanks and Tim Allen playing uh, the role. And so, I would have been interested to see it, and I think it could have been really fun. Um, it, it would have been interesting to yeah. see who they might have cast female role-wise with them. Um, but, you know, I think th- the thing that they do here and is that Dwayne Johnson has carved out for himself 
a very big fan base. And so that's an immediate pull for this. And I think uh, Emily Blunt has done the same thing. And I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, I was really interested. You mentioned something I think is obviously very key with these type of films. Like you have to have good writing and you have to have a good story to go along with it. And yes. so here, I, what did you end up thinking of the story? Because I saw some parallels to other movies for sure. So I think that it it works because it seems like a Disney formula. It's a family-friendly action adventure that's still got some spooky, scary things in it, but it's not too far um, into that territory. And so I think it works, even though it does play off of a lot of tropes or you know, things that would remind you of things like Pirates 1 or, um, you know, like other action adventure Disney movies like you were mentioning earlier, like, a you know, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that they still did an excellent job with having an interesting story to go with, even if it was some tropes that have been used before. Yeah, it it's um it's really interesting to me because... Uh, we walked out of the movie and we were talking with, cause we went and saw it with some friends and I was really shocked by how much this is basically pirates one when it comes down to some of the main story points. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a curse from years gone by. Um, and you know, one side is looking to cure the curse um, you know, and the biggest difference here really seemed to be that, you know, you have that World War One reference with, you know, the um, the character there, the general who's looking to use this tree of life to allow, you know, uh, Germany and its uh, powers to win World War One. Mm-hmm. And I was I, I think. One of the things that kind of hurt the film for me is the realization that this is basically just another version of Pirates of the Caribbean, but in the Amazon. Um, and that that really did kind of hurt a little bit of the film for me because I would have liked to have seen the film find a way to be more original quote unquote, you know, like, look, I know we're Mm -hmm. based, it's not really original because we're based on a theme park ride, but I think the story I would have liked for it to feel not just like another version of a theme park ride movie that Disney's already done. Well, I could see some of that, you know, obviously from what I said a minute ago too, but then also there are some ways that it is different with it bringing in this tree that has the tears of the moon that could heal any ailment. I like that. Mm -hmm. And their reference to her wanting to use it to cure disease for people in the rest of the world. Um, I thought was a really nice touch and gave it more heart and a, a driver for her to be there in the first place. And so it didn't focus quite as much on the curse for most of the movie. I feel like till you get to the end and they need to resolve some of those things with, the tie to um is it like don quixote (laughs) yeah yeah no i mean i i know i agree with you i think they did some good things with um changing things up a little bit and i i just i felt like um 
you still felt like it weighed a little more like 75 percent yeah into yeah exactly derivative. exactly basically you know i think you nailed it 75 percent of this movie feels more like pirates and then 25 mm-hmm. percent feels like it's something new and i think that i wish um they had really gone a different way and one of the things that I noticed with the story, too, that I thought was really interesting is that the movie shows how society, the society of the time mocks the idea of, like, legends and myths as kind of being ridiculous, right? You know, we're at that mm-hmm. point where science, quote-unquote, is taking over in the sense of, like, no, those things are stupid and there's no way they can... Well, at the same time, kind of poking fun at the conventions of the time, you mentioned her wearing pants right or you know her brother you know being uh gay Mm -hmm. and uh so there's some i felt like this movie had some chronological snobbery going on because in some ways it muddles the message because the past is important to learn from uh and we see that in the movie like the tears of the moon are actually real the Mm -hmm. they actually existed and so the fact that that this culture is 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 making fun of the idea of that being a plausibility while at the same time is this is the same thing I feel like this film is kind of doing when it comes to like oh women couldn't wear pants or you know it's you know somebody shouldn't be a homosexual it's like I I really I, I feel like you're muddying the waters and and you're hurting your message because you're both kind of doing the same thing. You know, we're mocking a time period mm-hmm. before because they're quote unquote not as advanced as we are, right? I I don't yeah. see how that helps your your message um when the film also shows that just because something's from the past and and it seems implausible now doesn't mean it is implausible. Right. No, that's a good point. And I I think that they could have, at the very least, handled it in a different way. Because, I mean, we do, most people now feel that a lot of those conventions of the Victorian era were ridiculous. Uh, you know, that people couldn't just all wear whatever they wanted to wear, um, for example. But they could have just had it where Emily Blunt's character is wearing pants and people are looking at her funny and never actually included in the dialogue. It didn't need to be such a focus, I guess, because then you're kind of cheapening the fact that she should be able to wear whatever she wants. Does that make sense? Or, you know, that yep. people were gay long before maybe everybody knew it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that, I do think that they handled his character's sexual preference really well because they said it in a way that's like you really understand empathy wise what he's going through that that was definitely the era where everyone's goal in life was to have a a beneficial Mm -hmm. marriage either for money or status or whatever and so you you definitely feel his pain of being constantly set up with women and feeling like he's just not living the life he should be living yeah i mean and i think in that sense like i think it was frustrating because he's a really stereotypical character. Yeah, that too. They and, didn't have to make him quite yeah. so stereotypically like feminine. Yeah. 
And it was frustrating because there was a lot of of that in the movie because they won't just come out and say, "Hey, I'm, you know, I'm I like guys. I'm gay." And yeah. instead, they just make him they, they do everything they can to portray a stereotype, and it's not until he kind of has that conversation with uh Dwayne Johnson's character that uh you you see him kind of change you know uh frank Mm -hmm. and him have a great conversation and then he kind of like becomes more of an actual human being you know a little less stereotypical but then at the same time even after that happens you still have the stereotypes of him like making all these double entendre jokes later on when he well all three of them in that sword scene yeah um so i i Again, I feel like the movie is, it's not as progressive as it wants to be. Um, yeah. And it's, it, it's hurt by like muddying the waters. Uh, and, and so I, I just, I feel like it's frustrating because I, again, I don't feel like that we need to look at the past and just call out, oh, look how dumb they were for believing such a thing, you know, while at the same time, right. you know, showing the validity of believing certain things because they were actually true. You know, like, I think mm-hmm. we should just be able to look at the past and say, yes, there are things here that we wouldn't hold to now. Um, but that doesn't mean we just throw the baby out with the bathwater here, you know? Right. Um, well, and that you don't have to always have the character that is the one obsessed with being nicely dressed and upset that their baggage is being thrown overboard. I mean... That's a trope that I feel like we could just get rid of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah, usually well, and, a female yep, character. Yep. They just replaced it this time with him. Yep, 100%. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, one of the things that was disappointing, though, is that I think we lose in the story the whole idea of greed kind of causing most of the problems here. You know, because we learn that, you know, Frank was actually one of these conquistadors who had come over uh, looking for the Tears of the Moon. And mainly because um, his brother's daughter is dying. And so they come up, they come for a very altruistic reason. And then... You know, they meet the the local tribe that guards the tears, and it's really the greed of him not wanting to continue to create the relationship that will allow him to to get the tears in time that um, creates all the issues, that creates the curse, right? And mm-hmm. and of course, at the same time, that's the exact same plot that we're going with with um, the prince's character, and you know the greed of wanting this so that that Germany can win the war. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, I, I felt like that's a really interesting theme about how this type of greed can can ruin the world, but it never really gets the the due that it should in the film. Like, I feel like that should kind of be 
the, the pinnacle and the hallmark and the thing that you come away with, but I feel like it just gets lost in the movie for the most part. Uh, and I think part of that is because the story doesn't have originality to it. Um, that's the part that feels so much like pirates. See, for me, the weakness of that wasn't as much that um, leaning too much toward pirate story as it was that they flip-flopped between which one was the main point of the story. Is it... Mm, good point. Is the point about greed and things getting into the wrong hands, or is it about how the most important thing in life is love right. and her and Frank trying to be together? Mm-hmm. Because I do think at the end, they're trying to come to a climax, and those two points are arguing with each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Like, the idea of, you know, you, you hit on another theme there, which is, is love enough? Mm-hmm. You know, like, because we have Frank, and he's lived for, you know, so many, you know, hundreds of, of years at this point, that... Is it enough, you know, to to want to continue to go on, especially when you've lived so long? And what's interesting is that he's, you know, yeah, he's from the 16th century, but he hasn't. It's not like he's immortal in the sense that, like, he's lived thousands of years, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's a little bit lost in the sense that he hasn't lived that long. Like, yeah, he's lived hundreds of years. But that's not the same right. as being basically immortal and living thousands of years. So I, I feel like even with what they're trying to do with him, it yeah, he's lived probably five, six lifetimes or whatever. But it it helps when that you have more longevity when you're trying to create that type of story to me than just yeah. like, oh, yeah, you lived for, you know. 400 400 years or whatever you know it's like yeah that's a long time but it's not this it's just i i really feel like what this story needed was somebody to come in and really begin to to parse out like those type of things um and and part of it was i think that as i'm watching the film this story didn't seem to really have enough of its own originality to really then be able to say well what it wants to say because too much of it feels way too familiar from other movies, especially mm-hmm. I would say Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, and therefore, it it never can really truly find its footing. Um, and it definitely always feels like we're on a leaky ship. You know, like... <laughs> we're, we're leaking plot, and we're leaking theme, and we're leaking all of these things, and we're never really fully getting to where we want to be because somebody hasn't really sat down and thought, okay, we want to bring Jungle Cruise to life. How do we really do that well in a way that honors not only the ride, but creates a story that is a really fun action-adventure type of story? Um, and... I feel like they could have done just such a much better job here. And, and what this really needed was somebody to sit down with this, maybe a few more iterations and really refine things. 
I can understand that. I I disagree a little bit. I I feel like for me it's more seventy five percent doing really well, and it's just a couple of little things mm-hmm. with the story that could have really taken it over the top and made it a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that primarily it's for me the the change at the end where you can't tell what the main point is where it feels mm-hmm. like otherwise sure. most of the story the point was about getting the tears of the moon for science sure and then yeah. it veers off yeah um, i no, i think that's i mean absolutely so and I, i'm definitely glad that it ended up working better for you than it did for me you know that's that is great mm-hmm. so um and i think you know to me it really does come down to we talked about the fact of the casting, but oh, I mean, yeah. it is the uh, to me the only real true reason that this movie works at all is because of Johnson and Blunt. I mean, their chemistry and their uh, screen presence is just so good, and they're so magnetic, and I'm enjoying everything that they do on screen together. That that's what makes this movie watchable. Uh, to me like i just basically wanted more of them together all the time like Mm -hmm. and any time that they weren't on screen together it's like we were wasting time to me (laughs) right yeah yeah, i get that i i think that for one obviously most of the time if some if they decide to put dwayne johnson in the leading role of a movie to me it's usually really good um and I think also because he has high standards for himself and then what he's going to be associated with. Um, but also I do think that his chemistry with Emily Blunt was really important because if that wasn't there, then the whole movie would have felt awkward. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, and I like that they leaned into the two of them with their chemistry in just a like beautiful romantic way rather than like a creepy way, um, except for the sword scene. I, I feel like that, should have been worded differently. You didn't need the jokes for the grownups in the room. It was like leaning yep. into it way too much to where I'm going. Yeah, we get it. It's a sex joke. Yeah. So that upset me a little bit. But um, otherwise, yeah, I, I think that the two of them were excellent. I think that they definitely had the chemistry that the writers were looking for. And I like that Dwayne Johnson is really versatile that he I feel like he really became the skipper for me and did a great job at coming across as you know this guy that's just getting by yeah I mean I I think both of them everything kind of works well when they're together and like they're they're Mm -hmm. bantering back and forth and you know again yeah I thought Johnson was great you know his jokes this, at the beginning. Yeah, playing this guy with all his bad dad <laughs> jokes, which are hysterical, yeah. I thought, you know, all of that yeah. I thought really worked. Um, you know, I think it it um I think the one thing that doesn't work as well is is the and the only thing that didn't work as well was the incessant joke about her pants and calling her pants and like Yeah. I don't think that even personally, it never really became funny. It's like they just keep doing it, hoping that maybe you'll get to the point where, like, it becomes funny to you, but it never became funny. It was just more obnoxious. And I know it's supposed to be kind of this, like, endearing thing, you know, between them. And it, yeah, But, no, I I'd, I'd never really thought that worked. Um, I also really did think 
that the thing that does work between them is what you talked about is the way in which they kind of come in with these preconceived notions about each other and Mm -hmm. those preconceived notions get turned upside down. It's very pride and prejudice type of, of relationship in the sense that, you know, they both think things about each other that prove to be wrong in the end. And it's only by actually getting to know one another that those things you get overturned. That's classic kind of love story, you know, trope. But I think it works really Mm -hmm. well here in their hands because they have such chemistry together on screen. So, you know, I again, I would love to see, you know, almost I would love to see another Jungle Cruise movie just because I want them together again. Hopefully it's much better written, but I, I think they do such a good job together that I would I would love to see that. Um, you know, I I think the rest of the cast here is serviceable and fine, you know, um, mm-hmm. other than Paul Giamatti and, and the world's most ridiculous accent, uh, as oh. well as um, I, I, I honestly, uh, the, I think that Jesse Hellman's um, Prince Joachim's character as well was also utterly obnoxious and annoying. Um, just, but, you know, whatever yeah uh, the, they the, were too stereotypical trying to lean into what they were portraying um yeah i'm with you on that paul giamatti and jesse Plemons, their characters could have been much better well um, and that's the thing that you mentioned that you know uh, when we were talking about her brother is the fact that it also you know he jack whitehall is was was good in the movie when they kind of there were those moments where he wasn't being stereotypical those moments yeah. like where he's like really punching somebody which was great you know uh like really feeling like a a, a character that's not a stereotype it's mm-hmm. when he was having to kind of play the stereotypical role and i think that's disappointing that the movie has so many stereotypes in it that it kind of ruins the film um in that sense it's like Find a different way to tell the story, and, and that kind of comes back to mm-hmm. the story, you know. But otherwise, this movie works only on the shoulders of, you know, Johnson and Blunt, which luckily Johnson's shoulders can hold the entire world because he is <laughs> Atlas. So, um, well, I do want to give one shout out though because I thought that Veronica Falcone as uh, Trader Sam, or you know, the the voodoo person, yes. was excellent and really i mean you want to talk about reminding you of pirates but in a good way she reminded me of calypso Mm -hmm. from pirates you know the creepy voodoo lady who you know it's like she is kind of this person that's been around this place for a long time and knows Mm -hmm. the language and but she's still kind of like creepy and I don't know. She's interesting. And I think that the actress did such a great job with that role. I really enjoyed her performance. Yeah, I thought she did a good job, too. Uh, You know, the idea of the way that they kind of use, obviously, from the Jungle Cruise ride, the quote unquote natives, you know, um, I thought Mm -hmm. the way that they use them here, that they're part of the gig with Frank was great. You know, I thought that was really fun. You know, they, they make yeah, money. Yeah, the reveal. Off. Exactly. So that that all, <laughs> I think, worked. That was enjoyable. And I think, yeah, I again, 
all of that kind of comes back to I wish that we had revised the story to kind of refine and, and give somebody in, uh, more to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, absolutely. I, I wanted to ask you, because this is something where I do feel like the movie does not do a great job, and that was with the effects work. I was... Yeah. I thought... It was really sad that they spent so much. Disney spent an enormous amount of money in this film, like an incredible amount of money on this movie, like mi- hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. The budget was two hundred million dollars. I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, the budget also ballooned to more than that. This mm-hmm. doesn't look like a $200 million movie effects-wise. I mean, from almost feeling like when you're on the boat that you're, it, there's, I don't know, is it a Zoom background? Uh, it, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> to the fact that the Jaguar in the movie never looks like a real Jaguar. I mean, mm-hmm. which is uh, disturbing since it's one of the main it's the main animal character in the movie and it never really mm-hmm. looks real. It always looks like a CGI character. I would, I mean that that's a real downfall of this film. Yeah. That was the biggest thing for me that bothered me was um, that as well as it felt like either they were trying to hide the fact that the conquistadors effects were not done very well or that yes. they just decided to go too quickly in general, but it felt like shaky cam during all of the fight mm-hmm. scenes with the conquistadors that were cursed when they come back from yes. the dead. And it felt way too much like Pirates of the Caribbean, but really badly yeah. done. Yeah. And so it, that bothered me because you're like, okay, I'm trying to like actually focus my eyes on what I'm seeing and understand how they're put together. And you never get to see them long enough to do that. Like some guy is kind of held together by honey and bees and s- half a face. And then, you know, uh, Don Quixote is mostly snakes, but they have this other guy that's like part tree, I guess. It's, it's just all goes by too quickly and the effects were not as good. I mean, if you compare, like you're saying, with the jaguar here to the animals in the um, newly reimagined Jungle Book movie, it's worlds oh, yeah. different. Yeah. Well, I mean, even I'm even thinking about the newer like Jumanji movies too, you know, like mm-hmm. this doesn't even, it's not even at that level. Um, it, it just, so it's like, what happened? Yeah. Where did you put all that money and how did this end up so <laughs> badly? Uh, you know, uh, and I think of too, like how the Mandalorian, which is a television show for Disney, you know, and the way they film that and everything that they can make things that feel much more realistic than this. That, I mean, that's just sad. So, yeah, all in all, it's a real letdown for me, the look of the film. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't even have, like, the, the the closest that I could come to with which this movie is really trying to mimic other than the African Queen is, like, The Mummy, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about in a few weeks here uh, on, <laughs> on the show, so... But that feeling, you know, and, and, and a little bit of Indiana Jones vibe, but honestly, it, this kind of feels like, and it's sad to say, a lesser version of The Mummy, which came out in 1999. Mm-hmm. You know, um, even effects-wise, I'm like, it doesn't feel like it's grown all that much from where we were in The Mummy back then. It's like, like no, it's like Scorpion King 
oh, graphics. Oh, man. <laughs> Less said about that, the better. But one thing that, yeah. um, you know, I wanted to touch on here that I thought was really enjoyable is and was really interesting was the soundtrack because James Newton Howard comes in here uh, and not only do we have him doing the score, but we also had Metallica helping him out by doing an orchestral version of their Nothing Else Matters, which was really interesting. So how mm-hmm. did that all work for you here? Because in an action adventure movie like this, you know, you kind of think of like Indiana Jones and those type of things like you want a good rip roaring score. So did that work for you? That was one of the coolest touches here. I thought that especially when the movie started and you hear remnants of that song, um, it was funny because I'm not a Metallica aficionado. Sure, I'm not by any means. Um, But my friend Erica is and was sitting beside me and went, wait a minute, I know that song. (laughs) And so it was her that told me. um, And I was like, well, that's really cool. And in it, a direction that I did not expect a Disney movie to go music wise at all. So I was pleasantly surprised with that. And mm-hmm. I thought that they did a great job overall as well with the score choice mm-hmm. for this movie. Right. Yeah, I, I thought so, too. I mean, not only the work that they did with Metallica, but I also just enjoyed the score. Uh, I Listening to it a bunch, there is some remnants of I can hear parts of of his work that he does for fantastic beasts kind of feel in there but mm-hmm. i mean again it works you know i really for me i love a good soundtrack and it was fun to have some great thematic elements in there it was fun that they tried this with metallica and i thought that it worked and it melded well together it wasn't like it stood out where you're like what is that right you know mm-hmm. so i thought that was great and so no i had a i mean to me in all honesty the best part of this movie, besides like watching Johnson and Blunt go back and forth with each other, I the the best thing that came out of this movie for me was the score, which you know is is strange to say, but I mean it's the thing that I'll I'll actually I I enjoy listening to, and I'll mm-hmm. probably listen to the score way more than I'll ever watch the movie again. So that's a <laughs> that's a strange place to be sometimes that happens where you really like the score way more than you like the actual movie um but i just i think it shows how a good score can transcend the film so you know i yeah i'm really interested then you know this is one where you know i think that there isn't just a, a lot to talk about um so i am fascinated to see you know where you come down then because it sounds like for me you might be a little bit higher than i am but where you are ratings wise with jungle cruise sure so for me i think you could tell obviously from the get-go that you and i felt a little bit differently about it but kind of close um i think that the biggest drawbacks again were just leaning into the sexual jokes too much during the sword scene of you know emily blunt pulling it the sword out of Dwayne Johnson um, and then the stereotypes and just wishing that the effects had been better. Um, but I think that if you go into this expecting a fun family friendly action adventure movie that everyone would enjoy it um, even with these pieces in there. And I think that the jokes were not so far that it would be, inappropriate for kids to watch or anything it's just that i think that they did did too much of them um 
So ultimately, I, I give it a seven out of 10 or a, a four and a half out of five, maybe. No, four out of five. Um, I'm trying to think of something to rate with. Um, wiggly swords. <laughs> there we go. I'll throw in another joke. There um, you go. Because the dad jokes were cute. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would watch it again. I think the casting was a big part of that. And I, I think that it's a fun movie. I wasn't going in expecting it to be like a life-changing film. But um, mm-hmm. there's a couple things I would have done differently. Yeah, I think with this one, uh, the reason that I can give this three out of five bad Jaguars uh, is that <laughs> Johnson and Blunt elevate this movie. You know, I mean, it would have been half a good movie if it hadn't just been for their performance. There's an extra half star here just because they're so much fun to watch. I I do think that there might be families where they wouldn't appreciate some of those jokes very much, you know, so I don't know if it's quite as family friendly as, as you thought it was because okay. there's there's just some people I know that probably wouldn't appreciate that. There isn't necessarily a reason for it either to have those yeah. those type of, of jokes in the film. Um, and I think it's disappointing to me because I do feel like we've gone away from the place where we can make a, this type of movie and it and it be PG like this does feel like it should be just a PG rated movie and there shouldn't be anything wrong with having that good type of clean fun. Um, but mm-hmm. it feels like we can't do that anymore. And um, that's disappointing. And, you know, this movie has continued to do pretty well at the box office. And I think that it shows that families are ready to have a good family movie to go to. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah, three out of five for me. I, I wish, th- and I even just talking about it with you, like there is so much of a place where this movie could have been better on so many levels, and it could have definitely, I think, been a four out of five easily. Um, and part of that is that you know it all comes down to to good story for me with characters they had the characters they just didn't have the best story for them to be a part of which i thought was the real disappointment so um well it's that time of the show christy for some recommendations so i'm interested to see what you're going to recommend to everybody this week so speaking of dwayne johnson i'm going to talk about something of his that i want to recommend from back in the day um i don't know if you've ever seen the movie the other guys from 2010 I have, yes. Yeah, that he did with uh, Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. But it's got just an all-star cast in it. And it wasn't like it was intended to be some big blockbuster movie. But it's really good. And it's so funny. And it's something that I um, intend to go back and rewatch again, um, even though I've seen it countless times. But I highly recommend watching The Other Guys if you haven't. Um, just be aware that that is definitely not a family-friendly movie. <laughs> Um, but in all the best ways, they, it's not just raunchy to be raunchy. I feel mm-hmm. like they actually like work it into the story in a really funny way. So, nice. um, yeah, definitely watch the other guys. Well, I'm going to go with, uh, I've been watching something that's definitely not family friendly, but it's on HBO max and it's a show with Kate Winslet called mayor of East town. 
and it mm-hmm. reminds me very much of Broad Church. If anybody's seen Broad Church with David Tennant and uh, Olivia Coleman, uh, very much in that same vein. And she's fantastic in it. It's it's a great kind of crime show. Uh, she is a detective in a in a small town in New England. Uh, it's it's fantastic so far. I've got a couple episodes left, but I'm I'm recommending it enough because I've also heard from enough people that it's a great show. Um, and so even though I haven't finished it, I'm still recommending you check out The Mayor of Easttown. So. But uh, Christy, if people want to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And then, of course, in the Babel Conference on Facebook. And when I'm not here with Matt in 602 Club, uh, I am also on Sabres and Spells, a show I do with my friends Amanda and Teresa. I know we've been a little bit on a on a break, but we are coming back as soon as Amanda's wedding is over. <laughs> So, um, but maybe, you know, I'll try to do some content with her this week while I'm visiting in Illinois. Um, so yeah, check us out at um, Instagram and Twitter as well at Sabres and Spells. We talk about geeky stuff that is a little more niche and we don't usually get to cover. So hope you'll listen. And uh, you could find me, of course, uh, here in the network, um, not only with the 602 Club, but check in the same feed. Uh, I'm with John Mills doing Snyder Cuts here as we talked about everything that Zack Snyder has directed one episode at a time, which was really cool to do, to be able to kind of get to walk through everything he had done um, and just kind of look at one director that way. Uh, you can also check me out on Literary Treks as well as The Orb. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek, and The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Of course, all over social media, Matt Rushing 2 so check me out anywhere there. Follow me there. Love to catch up with you. And then on the Nerd Party Network, doing two shows, one with uh, Drea Kaufman that I did was called Owl Post. We finished the entire series of Harry Potter We did one chapter at a time, so I hope that you will check that out. Uh, And then you can find me on Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills as we're talking about Star Wars each and every week. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back, know you here. here.